Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my podcast series on Paul of the New Testament. I really love studying Paul, and I hope that during this podcast series, I'll pique your interest in studying him as well. Paul's remarkable story is one of a complete transformation, a life-altering experience that changed his entire life's trajectory. Paul moved from persecuting and ordering the death of early believers of the resurrected Jesus to becoming one of Jesus's most devoted followers, writing possibly 13 or 14 different letters in the New Testament about this amazing Jesus, the Son of God. Now, our Bible is divided into two sections for these letters. They're found in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, first we have our four Gospels. Then we have what's called the Book of Acts, written by the Gospel writer Luke. And then it's followed by what we call the letters or the epistles. And there's 21 of them total. The first of these letters are attributed to Paul, who we're going to study. He wrote Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, which is my favorite, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Now, following that letter, we don't know who wrote what's called the letter to the Hebrews, but many scholars also attribute that letter to Paul. And then the letters that follow in our New Testament after Paul's letters include a very short yet powerful letter written by James, whom we actually believe to have been Jesus's brother James, not James, one of the 12 apostles. Then we have what's called 1st and 2nd Peter, written by Peter, who was one of the 12 apostles. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is written by John, one of the 12, who also wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. We then have a short letter written by Jude, who we also believe to have been one of Jesus's brothers. And then finally, our Bible ends with the very powerful letter written to the seven churches in Asia, again by the Apostle John, and that's called the book of Revelation. So our Bible is filled with lots and lots of letters. We're going to focus these next few podcasts on, as I said, the predominant letter writer, and that's the Apostle Paul. Okay, so Paul becomes a pretty prolific writer, but let's back up a bit. Who is Paul? He's sometimes referred to as the Apostle Paul, and he was originally known as Saul from Tarsus. Now, even though he's often called the Apostle Paul, he was not one of the original 12 apostles of Jesus. Because in fact, 
Paul didn't even have a relationship with Jesus before Jesus ascended into heaven. Yeah, it's a crazy story and one that allowed Paul to have such a life-changing conversion experience that his witness became all the more powerful because of who he used to be and who he became once he met the resurrected Jesus. Paul is a wonderful, passionate, intelligent, well-spoken, completely transformed man of God. And I just love his story because, well, it gives me hope. If Paul could be transformed, let me tell you, we all can be. In fact, Paul says in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Such a powerful call to all of us to no longer hold on to the world's ways, but to focus on being transformed so we can know God's ways. This reminds me of a passage in the Old Testament that was written by King Solomon. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. Solomon says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Huh. Solomon, the wisest, richest man who ever lived, found that at the end of his life, all was meaningless apart from God. No amount of brains. The Bible tells us he was the wisest. No amount of money. The Bible tells us he was the richest. No amount of wives. Well, the Bible tells us he had 700 and 300 concubines. None of this was meaningful without God. King Solomon wanted others to learn from his mistakes and to know that pursuing anything apart from God will leave us empty. Solomon learned a hard lesson that when we try to find meaning in our accomplishments or our causes or our pursuits outside of God, we will never be satisfied. All human accomplishments will one day disappear. Only the pursuit of God will provide true satisfaction. Now, Paul's life recorded in the New Testament, it really carries through this theme of having no meaning or purpose in life apart from God. Paul wants us to ask ourselves, if I'm truly living out God's will for my life, why am I tired and unfulfilled? What is the meaning of life? King Solomon, like Paul, challenges us to find true and lasting meaning in God alone. Serving God above all else will bring us true joy. God asks all of us to rethink our purpose and direction. That's really the theme of Paul's life that I want to discuss because 
it can be the theme of our life as well. Paul puts out the challenge that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's not focus on what we think is right or what feels right, but let us instead seek God so that we know what is right. Let's take a look at Paul's life and how he was transformed once he took a hard look at his life and started to seek God's guidance instead of leaning on his own understanding of what was right and true. We're going to start our story of the Apostle Paul with Luke's account in the book of Acts. Now, Luke tells us the amazing story of who Paul was before meeting Jesus and who he becomes after meeting Jesus. The book of Acts begins where actually Luke's gospel kind of ended. Jesus has risen from the dead and stays on earth for 40 days. And during this time, he's performing many signs and miracles. During this time also, Jesus speaks a lot about the kingdom of God, and his followers are so grateful that he's back, and I think they were becoming much better listeners to what Jesus was saying. They were really beginning to realize that the person speaking to them was no ordinary teacher, but was truly the Son of God. Now, during this time, Jesus explains to them that he's going to leave them again, but that in his place, they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that that would empower them to share the good news of Jesus to not only Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, remember, most of Jesus's early apostles were uneducated fishermen and local villagers and not learned scholars or great speakers. But Jesus assured them that even though he had to leave them, he was still going to be with them in the form of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would give them the words to say. Luke says that after Jesus said this, he ascended into heaven. And I'm sure many of them thought, oh no, not again. He left us. What are we going to do? But then Luke tells us 10 days later on their Jewish festival called Pentecost, which was always celebrated 50 days after Passover, and it was to celebrate the harvest. So Luke says they're all gathered to celebrate Pentecost when all of a sudden a rush of violent wind came from heaven and filled the entire place where they were sitting. This is in Acts chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, they're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own language? How cool is this story? Tongues of fire on their heads? Okay, well, tongues, 
I represented their amazing ability to all of a sudden be understood in everyone's unique language. Fire? Well, God used fire a few times to get people's attention. This time, it was sort of this symbolic burning away of their sinful nature and then igniting in each of them a burning desire to share the gospel. Oh, what powerful imagery. Now, since this was Pentecost, which was one of the required pilgrimage holy days, the place was filled. There were people from all over the land in Jerusalem. So Luke tells us that many people were affected by this amazing Holy Spirit event. He tells us that there were people from Parthenon and Medes and Mesopotamia and Asia and Persia and Egypt and Libya and Crete and Rome and Judea and Galilee, both Jews and then those who had converted to Judaism. And they all heard the good news of Jesus in their own language. And because of this incredible miracle, the word of Jesus truly started spreading to, quote, the ends of the earth. So this event was preparing the world for something big. Because really up to this point, just Jews and converts to Judaism were hearing the good news of Jesus. But now these Jews were going to take this news back to their homes and villages that were far away. And here is an amazing account. Peter, you know, the one's lowly fisherman, kind of impetuous, uh, kind of quick to anger. Now he's all of a sudden empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us Peter is able to give this incredibly moving speech that's filled with all these Old Testament references. And he tells them that Jesus of Nazareth is Lord and Christ. He would never have been able to do this before. And Luke tells us that now Peter is just encouraging each of them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And he assures them that if they do this, that they would also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Luke tells us that on this day of Pentecost, about 3,000 became believers. Now, this is important background so that you better understand the environment that drove Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as Paul, to become so concerned about his fellow Jews. Luke goes on to tell us that, okay, now after Pentecost, this new group of believers were really, they were transformed in the way that they lived their lives. And he kind of describes this powerful transformation in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and their goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
those who were being saved, unquote. So the early believers were all Jews. They still went to temple or, you know, if they live far from Jerusalem, they went to synagogue for instruction and for worship. And now what's different is they believed Jesus was the promised Messiah. Okay, while this sounds ideal, their belief in Jesus as the Messiah caused tension with Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And because of this tension, believing Jews were actually forced into seclusion, and they had to meet in homes for prayer and communion and teachings about Jesus. So now we have this environment of division of Jews who believe in Jesus and Jews who do not. Well, the Jewish religious leaders definitely did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they had to put an end to Jesus and his blasphemy, which they thought they did with his crucifixion. But now there's a serious problem because all these new followers of Jesus are claiming that he rose from the dead and that they were all witnesses to this fact and that Jesus has now been exalted to the right hand of God. These followers of Jesus are getting a lot of attention, especially the apostles Peter and John. And Luke tells us in the book of Acts that the attention and the respect that Peter and John were receiving was far greater than what the Sadducees were getting. So these religious leaders become jealous. Because of this, Peter and John are actually dragged before the Sanhedrin and are arrested and imprisoned. Now, here's a side note. Please know that faith in God does not protect us from persecution. Not everyone was wowed by their profession of faith, but Luke tells us in the book of Acts that Peter and John were way more concerned about serving God than pleasing their fellow man or even trying to please the religious leaders. They truly had become transformed by the renewing of their minds. Peter and John and these new believers were leading selfless, God-focused lives. So, as I said, they're dragged before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is composed of 70 elders of Israel. The Sanhedrin honestly would do anything to stop these apostles from challenging their authority, threatening their secure position, and honestly exposing what the Sanhedrin considers to be hypocrisy. But this time, when they threw Peter and John into jail, guess what happened? An angel Open the doors of the jail cell. <laughs> Can you imagine how upset the Sanhedrin must have been? They can't win. Nothing could stop the apostles from preaching the good news. But as Luke tells us, that still doesn't stop the powerful religious people from trying to shut them down. So this is where our apostle Paul comes into the story. Luke tells us that there's this great religious man named Stephen, and he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us that because of this, Stephen was able to do like amazing, miraculous signs. 
But sadly, lots of opposition arose because of this. Stephen's getting attention and he's telling people about Jesus. So he's falsely accused by the Sadducees of speaking against Moses in the Old Testament and his laws. Well, this is a huge no-no because the Sadducees are just focused on the book of Moses. So this accusation, completely untrue. But when Stephen is brought before the high priest, instead of pleading his innocence, we learn that Stephen launches into a beautiful speech in Acts 7, where he talks about the Old Testament, and he talks about the Jewish people, and he talks about God's faithfulness, and he talks about the Jews' constant rebellion against God. What's cool is that Stephen took this opportunity of being in front of this religious audience, not to plead his innocence, but instead to summarize the teachings of Jesus. Well, his speech was not well received, and Luke tells us, in fact, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. What does Stephen do? Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. Unquote. So here we come to Saul. That's his Jewish name. His Roman name is Paul. We learn from Luke that Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen. Saul is a Jew from Tarsus, which is in Turkey. Saul is really worried about his fellow Jewish people. Saul is a learned man, a respected man. He's part of the religious elite. Saul was what was called a Pharisee, and the Pharisees knew the Old Testament inside and out. They were the strictest keepers of the law, 613 laws to be exact. However, Pharisees were often so focused on the law that they couldn't see the forest for the trees. Saul knew the Bible, and he knew the ancient prophets had warned about false prophets. So he didn't want his people to get their hopes up only to be disappointed by a false prophet claiming to speak to, for God, claiming to be the Messiah. Saul loved God. He loved Israel. He wanted to protect his people from charlatans. Saul, in his heart, thought he was doing the right thing by persecuting those Jews who were followers of what became known as the way. And those were the Jews who were following the teachings of Jesus. Saul thought he was doing God's work. 
because of persecution of these new believers in Jerusalem, what happened was many believers left the city. Well, then because they leave the city, what are they doing? Well, they're spreading the news to Samaria and even Damascus. So it's just as Jesus said would happen. His believers are spreading the word even as the religious elite were trying to shut them down. So our story in Acts takes us to Saul, and he's actually on his way to Damascus to follow up on these new believers of the way because they're spreading the news to Syria. His intention is to shut them down. Damascus is about 175 miles northeast of Jerusalem in the Roman province of Syria. And Damascus is important because it's part of a major trade route. So shutting down Christianity here is going to be a really huge step in kind of stamping out the spread of this new religion. So it makes sense why Saul would be so anxious to go there. And here's how Luke describes what happens to Saul, whom we call the Apostle Paul. This is in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here? He sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, unquote. What an amazing story. You can just imagine Ananias' hesitation. Wait, you want me to help that murderous man Saul? But what does God say? This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. This Saul, who will be known as Paul, this persecutor of Christians, is now going to be the very one who is going to preach the good news of Jesus to all non-Jews. That's what a Gentile is, a non-Jew. That's crazy. That's God crazy. Who better to witness to the world about the life-changing, transformative power of Jesus than Saul, who becomes known as Paul? Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Wait, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving Jesus is the Messiah. Unquote. We end today's podcast, I hope, better understanding just how much Paul knew what power there was behind the words in Romans 12 too. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul honestly thought he was doing God's will. He was a Bible scholar. He felt so sure he was right in squashing those early believers before this religion got out of hand. But God had other plans. Ask God to help you see with his eyes, not yours. I challenge you this week to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember that wisest man that ever lived, Solomon? Well, He reminds us in Proverbs 3 to lean not on our own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That sounds like some good advice. Have a blessed day.